Hello and welcome to another episode of PSHE Talks. In this episode, we'll be discussing PSHE's role in gambling harms prevention work, prompted by our recent collaborative work with Gamble Aware. And I'm joined today by two of our subject specialists, Anne Bell and Sally Martin, and Dr Ellie Hansen. Ellie is an independent clinical psychologist with clinical experience working with people with addictions. Her research and policy work focuses on prevention, education and adolescent development. Thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, I'll jump straight in with you, Anne, if that's OK, uh, because you've been coordinating the association's work on this project. Could you tell us a little bit more about what the project entails? Sure. So GamblerWare commissioned us to investigate the current landscape around teaching of gambling prevention education in schools um, and the evidence base that supports it. Our aim was really to, to use that understanding to produce a range of materials that support teachers to plan uh, and deliver safe and effective learning on this really pertinent health education topic. And it's, it's definitely been a really interesting project and we're absolutely delighted to have had the opportunity to, to take part. Great. Uh, and Ellie, perhaps before we go any further, uh, it might be helpful to talk about some of the wider terminology in this area, because I think it's useful for listeners to understand the context for this work. Worth mentioning as well that this is something we cover in the introduction to the handbook that we've published recently. I'll link it in the description as well, uh, in case you're interested. Uh, and something I didn't actually know before was that it's important to talk about gambling harms rather than problem gambling and addiction. Why is that? Yeah, no, it's a good question because um, problem gambling is, is a common term, um, as is the term responsible gambling. Um, but if we just take a moment to think about those terms, um, we start to recognise that there, there can be problems with them. Um, for one, um, the term problem gambling can stigmatise those who are maybe struggling with gambling. Um, Equally, the term responsible gambling um, can kind of imply that those who are struggling are somehow irresponsible. And we know from research that that can um, mean that people either don't identify themselves as having problems because they want to avoid that label, or they feel stigmatised and that can get in the way of them seeking help. Um, the other issue with the terms is that it really blurs the fact that there's a continuum of harm. Um, there are many gambling harms that can be experienced by a wide range of people who are gambling, not just those who are really struggling with a problem that feels like an addiction. And it's really important that we keep all of those harms in the picture, mm -hmm. including things like um, the contribution to inequality across society. Mm. I think it's really important for our work as well, isn't it? Because what we don't want is always to be focusing on those two ends of the spectrum. There are so many different types of harm that can be involved here, as there are with other types of addiction. Um, so it's important we recognise that in our work, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And thinking specifically uh, about young people as well, what are the kind of key trends at the moment in this topic? Well, you know, what's, what we found interesting is that a lot of people don't seem to see it as a big issue for young people and yet actually um, the research and, and talking to young people suggests very different. Um, I mean uh, one of the things that came across I think in the, in the research that we did Sally was that disconnect between teachers awareness of the societal issues around gambling um, and the actual need to deliver any kind of preventative work. Yes. Um, I think there was definitely a sense that it would be something that people would respond to. Is that is that something you found? Yes, very much so. Through the teacher focus groups, um, it was seen as a safeguarding issue and something that they would react to if there was an issue that arose. But it 
wasn't in most cases incorporated in a pre-SHE education programme, mm. um, certainly not at primary. Some secondary schools were doing some explicit teaching around it, but most schools hadn't started. Or, and I think that's because they weren't aware, perhaps, that they needed to think about it. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of teachers aren't necessarily aware of the prevalent statistics that are out there. Yeah, yeah. we have some of those in front of us as well, actually. So from a recently published report into young people's gambling behaviours, which found that 11% of 11 to 16-year-olds spent their own money on gambling in the week prior to completion of the survey. This was compared to 16% who had drunk alcohol during the week, 6% who had smoked cigarettes, and 5% who had used illegal drugs. So it certainly seems to correlate with uh, what you were saying on that. With our focus group. I think some of the Mm. teachers were quite surprised that we were doing this. Mm. I don't think they... I don't think it's necessarily on teachers' radars. Yeah. I don't think they necessarily have had any kind of training on this mm. issue. Yeah. And and if we think that a lot of PSHE teachers are non-specialists, many many of them haven't had training more generally on PSHE. Yeah. So I think a lot of the people we spoke to, it actually was a little bit of a... A wake-up call is the wrong phrase. What, what would you say? No, I agree. I, I think, think it was, was a, an opportunity to see... Yeah, a light bulb moment yeah. that um, that gambling might be something that they need to consider as part mm. of their PSHE programmes. Because I think, you know, often what we see as an issue is what we ourselves are exposed to. Um, and teachers may not be exposed to the level of advertising around gambling that young people are being exposed mm. to, given, um, you know, young people's involvement in the online and in sports in particular. Um, so, for example, some recent research found that 40% of 11 to 16-year-olds um, saw gambling adverts on TV more than once a week. Um, and a significant minority um, felt that those adverts had influenced their decisions to gamble, um, or they weren't sure whether they had. And, and given that we know from other research that people tend to underestimate the impact of adverts on their behaviour, mm-hmm. um, that's really quite worrisome. And um, what do you think that lack of engagement amongst teachers meant for your work? So I think one of the key things we really wanted to do uh, with the handbook and and the other materials that we've been producing is to to really inform teachers of what the research shows uh, of how prevalence compares to some of the other health issues that we've traditionally um, embedded as part of our PSHE programmes so that teachers can really start to consider gambling prevention work in a similar light to perhaps drug use prevention work. We also wanted to let teachers know about the new expectations regarding gambling prevention education because it's something that a lot of teachers might not be aware of. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about those uh, statutory regulations. Um. Of course. Um, So the recent requirement for for non-independent schools to deliver prescribed health education content includes an expectation that students in the secondary phase will have the opportunity to consider a number of internet safety and harms issues. And this incorporates risks related to online gambling, uh, including accumulation of debt. In independent schools, it's slightly different. Um, There's already an expectation that health education will be covered, but schools have more scope to determine their own health education curriculum priorities. Uh, But obviously, the statutory guidance provides some really strong advisory guidance that schools may really benefit from considering. Mm. And I guess whatever the statutory expectations, we feel it's really important to consider gambling-related harms um, as a health education issue and, and to plan accordingly. Mm. Certainly kind of a theme in PSHE as well, we're, we're often thinking about the impact on the individual and kind of thoughts and feelings around these topics. 
I think, especially for primary pupils, the idea of linking feelings mm. to gambling education is really important because there's lots of feelings that arise with, through winning and losing. Sure. And with gambling, you're more likely to lose than win. So managing feelings um, and also not using gambling as a, a way to make yourself feel better. So I think it has a very strong link with mental health education mm. that mm. even younger pupils can understand that um, people might be using gambling as a way to make themselves feel better about their day or to cheer them up or to feel excited about something and um, getting those pupils to, to think about the risks around that uh, can be started at a younger age. Yes, and, and definitely that was something coming up in, in the research review as well. Um, interestingly, um, some studies have found that when people think about uh, their anticipated negative emotions following an event, so for example, if they think about the regret or guilt um, or sadness they might feel upon losing, yeah. that can actually influence their decisions in a positive way so that they gamble less. Mm. Um, and also, you know, education can play a really big role in helping young people to develop um, ways of adaptively coping with difficult feelings yeah. rather than um, reaching to less adaptive means like gambling, like drinking, mm. smoking, etc., mm. as emotion regulation techniques mm. there does seem mm. to be a strong correlation doesn't there between gambling education and drug alcohol and tobacco education mm. yeah. echoes those earlier statistics as well i think so. we kind of need to treat it in the same way as we treat those other addictions yes and and uh, this really chimes with our general message within the pshe association about not bombarding young people with you know education on risk after after risk um not we often call it a monster of the week yeah. approach, don't we? Yes, <laughs> yes. Whereas actually what we can be doing is teaching young people, for example, how to adaptively manage emotions, which then has the knock-on effect of meaning that they're less likely to gamble, drink, mm -hmm. take drugs, etc. So ideally these are transferable skills as well for young people. Absolutely, they're yes. underpinning mm -hmm. learning. And, and if we can get those aspects right and then interweave the, the gambling-specific education, I think that's the best approach, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, Ellie, I know you've got this theory and evidence scope. Um, could you tell us a bit more about it and, and what your findings were? Yes. So, recently, there has actually been a systematic review of um, gambling education in schools, um, which is really helpful in just summarising what's been shown to be effective. Um, and what my scope, my scope then kind of built on that to look at what we know to be effective in gambling education, but also um, promising inclusions um, as, we, as it develops further. So I took a wide lens approach looking at psychology, um, the psychology of adolescence, the psychology of gambling, um, looking at industry practice, and also what do we know about um, education effectiveness more generally and thinking what does all of that mean for gambling education so um, what do we definitely want to be including in it um, how might it fit within other areas of the curriculum um, and what are the bedrock skills that young people need alongside the gambling specific lessons great so I think teachers will be interested in uh, what was effective in this area so what were the conclusions that you were able to draw on the basis of your research? Well, looking at all of those different areas of psychology and education, 
um, what I concluded was that really schools needed to have a tiered approach. So firstly, some gambling specific education, which covered the nature and harms of gambling, including new forms online, etc. Um, also looking at negative anticipated emotions um, that covered uh, relevant cognitive distortions and the relevant mathematical concepts like randomness. Um, also tried to enhance positive social norms. So where actually there's a low prevalence of gambling and um, disapproval that young people are educated on, on those things. Um, and that also looks at industry strategies and how they can identify and unhook from those. So that's kind of tier one. Um, the second tier going down would be um, more kind of bedrock PSHE content, which covers emotion regulation and adaptive coping skills, um, helps young people to become more aware and act in line with their intrinsic values, um, and also helps them feel in control, um, acting with autonomy and self-efficacy. Um, and then the third tier, it would be the whole school approach. So schools ensuring that they are not uh, contradicting any of this education, that they are modelling um, and narrating the importance of intrinsic values. They're supporting young people in supporting one another. Um, and there's also effective means for children to get help and support with anything mm. that they're struggling with within that school. So it sounds like communication is really mm. important for that. Absolutely, because sometimes there can be the situation where young people are receiving really good lesson content, but maybe some of those messages can be un undermined inadvertently by school practice. So it's just ensuring that there is that join up. Brilliant. And a question to you all, I suppose, because I think a lot of listeners will be wondering, what would you say are the key things for schools to be covering on this topic? And I'll ask you to keep it to one, one thing each, if you can, so we end up with a, the top three tips. Uh, so Sally started within, <laughs> within primary, I would say it fits well with... Um, general learning around exploring risk and how you assess risk um, so I think it needs to be set within that context in the primary school and I think young people will develop a, a really more complex and, and nuanced understanding of risk at different stages in their development won't they yeah and so that's why we keep revisiting that concept of risk assessment as, as young people progress through through the key stages um, I'd also suggest that we need to think about whether there's a place for addressing things like some of the mathematical concepts, the, the fact that outcomes are random, that um, there are certain fallacies around gambling. And if we can help people to avoid thinking that just because one outcome has occurred one time, that it will occur again or not the next time round, those kinds of messages can actually be really helpful in, in helping young people to see that that gambling is not necessarily a, a, an income stream. It's, it's a, a very much a chance-based, a lottery-based um, way of, of people getting money and therefore it might not be the right approach. Mm. And, and, yeah. and yourself, Ellie? Well, just backing Anne up on that, I think it's really interesting, this recent review of gambling um, education in schools. The authors of that review, in their conclusion, they said that Although few programmes were emphasising learning complex mathematical concepts such as randomness and expected value, as Anne's just described, um, they argue that nevertheless such important concepts are crucial to understanding the unprofitability and unpredictability of commercially gambling products. 
um, I think if I had to choose one thing, for me it would be about this kind of bedrock teaching, um, helping young people to become more aware of their intrinsic values, um, what's important to them, um, and then also growing in their sense of autonomy, their sense of self-efficacy. You know, I can, I can act in line with my values, um, and I can also identify um, attempts from others, for example, various corporations, to, that invite me to ignore those values and value other things and act against my own best interests or against other people's best interests. Because, you know, the gambling industry is one of a number of industries that is um, nudging young people and indeed adults um, into behaviours that, that kind of work against them. So if we can help young people to identify that um, and see themselves as able to resist those attempts, then I think that leaves them in a really good place and much more resilient. Excellent. Well, thanks all of you for that. That's great. Um, so in the handbook, we covered safe practice in a lot of detail, uh, including tips for working with external visitors. We've also co- uh, covered this topic as well in an earlier podcast, if that's of interest, so be sure to check that out. Um, but thinking about gambling specifically, Sally, why is it so important that teachers consider this information before delivering lessons in the classroom? Well, I think there can be some fear from teachers about teaching about gambling because one of the things that you can do unwittingly is um, spark an interest in pupils. So mm. we need to be careful about how we present um, resources and activities to pupils so that that doesn't happen. It's important uh, that pupils don't feel this is a behaviour that they can take part in and then it will all be okay um, because they see someone who's had a very bad experience and has then come out the other side and actually everything's all right now. Um, And I think sometimes when um, young people are presented with a very extreme example, they can be left thinking, well, that's one in a million, that's not going to happen to me. Um, And so it kind of loses its sense of relevance Mm. for them. Yeah. Mm, I think there's also that potential risk that someone in the class that that you're working with does have a concern about a family member or a friend and 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 therefore actually that's quite an intense session for them to be sitting through perhaps hearing about some of the the very you know extreme harms that, that that person might have experienced and that can be very frightening for a young person who's going through that you know that personal experience so I just think we really need to be careful um, and have in mind some of the most vulnerable people in our classrooms when we're delivering this kind of mm. education. Um, and obviously it's important that visitors recognise that there may well be those kinds of risks um, to anything that they may be delivering in the same way that a teacher would be. I suppose linking to that as well, one of the key principles that we talk about in PSHE uh, is this need to ensure that learning is age and stage appropriate. And you wrote some lesson plans for this topic for primary, Sally, didn't you? Um, how did you write the primary lessons to ensure that they matched pupil needs? Well, th- really the most important part of the work that we did on those lessons was we went into schools and spoke to children um, about uh, different aspects related to gambling. We designed some baseline assessments, which were exploratory activities, to find out what they already knew, thought and felt about gambling. Those were absolutely key because they helped us pitch the lesson plans at the right age. And what we found was that uh, younger pupils, so in key stage two, year three and four pupils, um, needed to develop more of an understanding of risk in general. So some of the pupils we spoke to didn't quite know what 
risk was meant. They weren't sure mm. how to assess risk, but they had less understanding probably about gambling and betting than the older pupils in year five and six. Those pupils had quite high understanding, possibly from the adverts that they've seen on television um, and locally in their local area. They all spoke about arcades, betting shops, casinos. Mm -hmm. There was a, a much higher awareness than I was expecting about the, you know, the gambling yeah. opportunities that are open to adults around them. I suppose worth remembering those kind of low-tech um, gambling means as well, because it's tempting to just talk about online gambling and the impact that's had because it feels so clear yeah. and so obvious and I think there's a lot of related work that's going on in that area yeah but the kind of seaside gambling arcades that stuff is yeah is just as harmful as it's ever been definitely and it'd be dangerous if kind of it fell onto the periphery and I think it's that thing isn't it with PSHE education we always need to be looking at the online and mm. the offline life together because the children don't um separate them you know sure. students don't live those lives separately so it doesn't really matter what scenarios we're giving. We need to make sure we give online and offline examples um, for students and pupils to explore. I know that there is a growing concern as well about gambling-style games, so esports and in-app purchases with a luck component, um, and the potential for this to encourage gambling behaviours as well. So for those teachers less familiar with these issues, what are the concerns around this? So I think there's been a convergence of gambling and gaming, which, which means it's important to consider how young people's gaming behaviours can actually cross over into to gambling behaviours. So a lot of people will probably be familiar with gambling-style games, um, so things that mimic gambling activities like poker games or bingo games in on, online or, or uh, in phone apps. And those aren't necessarily for payment. But the worry is that, of course, if young people are enjoying those games, and particularly if they're successful in those games, that that might transfer across... Um, into to games where they are risking risking money. Mm. Esports betting is something that I think is relatively new in our culture. It involves placing bets on, on people who are playing sports in a virtual world. So people might bet on the outcomes of an online football game or strategy card tournament. And, and we know that young people are more likely to be engaged in those esports anyway by their very nature. Um, and so the concern is that young people may well be more likely to be drawn into betting on esports given the prevalence of advertising linked to those tournaments. Mm. Um, and so I think there's just been a, a growing awareness that that young people are more likely to perhaps to participate in those kinds of activities. One of the other elements that I know young people are particularly drawn into is things like skins and loot boxes. And, and they're types of in-app rewards or, or purchases that improve the gameplay or aesthetics of an online game. So someone might find a power-up in a loot box or, or perhaps get a new mm. costume or sword design for their character. And sometimes these can be collected as part of a standard part of, of gameplay. But other times um, they require quite a lot of gameplay to earn or they require people to, to purchase them. And, and that's where loot boxes can come in. They involve an element of chance where a person pays to open a box without knowing what they'll get. Um, and it could be a great feature that really enhances the enjoyment of the game or it could be something of lesser value that perhaps leaves that person feeling mm. disappointed or like they've wasted their money. And it's that that is the key concern, I guess. Those feelings and emotions do mirror some of the things that yeah. would, would, would be going mm. on for people who are gambling. Yeah, and this is a real worry given that 93% of young people um, do game online. Um, and these loot boxes are readily available in games that are labelled as suitable for children seven years and up. Um, and 
as Anne was saying, if we're looking at um, play around loot boxes, they're often generating feelings of frustration and low mood. A lot of young people are, you know, feeling compelled to um, spend money on them or pay for them in other ways. And it's really detracting from their enjoyment of the game. Um, and research again and again is now finding a big link between loot box play um, and gambling and gambling difficulties. So it's something that you know we really are concerned about. Um, just another example of this blur between gaming and gambling as well is simply just language, um, that a lot of gambling products are being described as games. Um, and I would argue that even the National Lottery are guilty of this, that words like betting and gambling are used less and words like playing and gaming are used to describe everything, things that are gambling and things that are not. And so it can be really difficult for children to actually know what is gambling and what isn't. And that's important for them thinking about um, what's likely to cause harm and what isn't. Mm. And I think it also makes it harder for young people to to relate to the behaviours that they're actually engaging in because they might not necessarily see that they are engaging in gambling when they're just on their phones playing games. Um they don't necessarily make that link. So I do think it's important for teachers to be aware mm. so that they can help young people to, to start making those links in an age-appropriate way. And that's something we've picked up on in one of the primary lessons as well. Um, there is a, a scenario with a game that the pupils explore, um, but then there is some incentives, um, examples of things that might pop up on screens or might pop up when playing games, and the, the pupils have to work out what effect those incentives are having on the player so they're actually starting to become quite critically literate around uh, the media that's used around gambling so although the lesson isn't specifically about loot boxes you can see the correlation um, in the lesson and the pupils will be able to make those links and we know that from other areas of um, education and campaigning that these kind of counter-marketing messages could be really effective. So, for example, some of the campaigns against smoking have helped young people to identify, ah, yes, that's a tactic on, on the part of the tobacco industry. I can spot that, I can unhook from it, and that's yeah. part of what your lessons are doing. That's what we tried to do in the lessons, mm. isn't it, to be able to teach those. There's something else that I found quite surprising about these kind of in-game purchases was that often if you... Um, upload kind of real money from wherever to the game you can't then withdraw at a later point even yes. if you somehow manage to be successful yeah. so it's not kind of good money is it that you're playing with it's virtual money and you're playing you know on the terms of the game developers yeah. so it's different risks involved mm. and I think it comes back to your earlier points about the importance of them being able to assess risk effectively. I wonder if the risks that people take in virtual spaces are different to the risks that they would take in physical spaces as well. Money can feel less real. Mm. Um, and I think one of the points that you're making there as well around um, what is a win and what is a loss, and that can all become quite blurred. Mm. And we know that the gambling industry um, do engage in this practice of disguising a loss as a win. Um, and also, as you're just describing there, um, when people are, are having wins, they've then got to spend them um, in a way that gives them a loss. Sure. So um, it's never really a win. Um, Strikes me that it would be easier to deal with a loss in a virtual environment as well, because you're already in that ecosystem and then you could get distracted, you know, in another yeah. way. So yeah. it doesn't feel like as big a loss yeah. as yes. a real loss would. Yes. Uh, and I wonder what 
kind of we'll see in the future as well with the advent of VR technology and that type of thing when it will become even more real in those spaces. And I think it's so important that PSHE education keeps up with those technological advances. And, and that's, I guess, one of the reasons that we, we do these pieces of work so that we can help to keep teachers abreast mm. of the, the new trends um, and the new technologies which are out there and how that might influence their sure. work. It's adaptive mm. rather than Absolutely. reactive, I Absolutely. suppose, is the key. Mm. Excellent. Um, and also knowing that, you know, whatever the technological advances that, that come our way... Um, humans will always be humans and a lot mm. of the education that we're already delivering will continue to be relevant um, we're talking about teaching young people these bedrock skills managing emotions yes um staying in control sure. um yes and and so all of these things will still be relevant but but it's about making the links to whatever is mm. particularly salient for young people at any one moment in time and at the same time, we do recognise that some teachers might feel that this is an area outside of their comfort zone. And that's why we have a range of resources to support them, um, including the literature review that I've recently done, um, which hopefully will give them a bit of an overview as to kind of what the issues are with gambling for young people, but also promising inclusions mm. within education. And what the existing kind of research is as well, in case they want to dig a bit deeper. Yeah. Um, certainly some local authority leads would be interested in that. And exactly. And seeing how that this fits into other areas of PSHE and education more generally. Excellent. Well, I think that's all we have time for, but great to hear so much about a topic that hasn't necessarily had the same airtime as other PSHE topics. Uh, so thanks for joining me today, guys. And thanks for listening. Um, so if you're not signed up already, you can sign up for email updates on new PSHE resources, policy updates and top tips. Just follow the link in the description or go to our homepage and scroll down. And for anyone wanting support for people currently experiencing gambling harm, please check out the BeGamblerAware.org website. There's also a National Gambling Helpline, which you can reach on 0808 8020 133. It's open 24 hours, 7 days a week and is a route through to advice and possible referral to the National Gambling Treatment Service.